Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Great to see all of you here today. My name is Christian. I'm our Executive Director of Pastoral Ministries here at the Life Christian Church. So we're going to have a bunch of fun today as we actually close out a series that we have been in for these past few weeks called Follow Me and we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I get to actually finish out the series today uh, as we talk about what it means to be sent. And so we've been talking recently about what it means to be with him, what it means to be with Jesus. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what it might mean to go out and to be sent by Jesus. And again, it's fun for me to be able to talk, to close out a series, and Pastor Terry, for everyone online, you might not have seen him talking about this a second ago, he would, uh, you know, he plays tennis with a friend, he uses it maybe to get something out of his friend, he tries not to beat him, well, I try not to beat him too much so that he'll give me more opportunities to speak and to get on stage, and sometimes I, you know, you always wonder why I might avoid playing tennis with you, and it's because sometimes I can't withhold beating you too bad, and... You know, you hold a lot of my life in your hands and, you know, my career advancements, salary, benefits and packages and so on and so forth. What do they have to do with anything? Not, not much. Okay, so here's a scripture that we've uh, talked about these past few weeks uh, from Mark, Mark chapter 3, um, which says, speaking of Jesus in relationship to his disciples, he appointed 12, the 12 disciples, that they might be with him and that he might lead them out to preach. And so there's this interesting kind of like twofold relationship that the disciples have right here to Jesus. Is one, he appointed the 12 so that they might specifically be with him in relationship with him, cultivating a life with him, to watch Jesus pray, to learn how to pray, to learn how to think about the world, to learn how to understand who they were as Jewish people and the, and the history of Israel and where their future was going and so much was going on in their with him relationship, sitting around, eating, having dinner, and all that kind of stuff. But then there's also this second part. It's almost, it was so that and that he might lead them out to preach. So there was this with him part and there was a sent by him part of the disciples' relationship with Jesus. You see, God has called us not only to be with him, but to be sent by him out into the world. Is there anything we might need to do for my microphone here, Seth? You're good? Okay. All right. So God has called us not only to be with him, but to be sent by him. That the, the truths of scripture, the truth of who Jesus is, and the invitation that he has for our lives must necessarily manifest themselves out in us going and doing some kinds of things in our lives. But I think a couple of interesting cultural and historical things have happened in the last hundred years or so that have made us maybe prone to being either with him people or sent by him people, but not combining the two and having kind of the, con- the, the, the conjunction of the, of the and that brings both together. And so here are a couple, a couple historical notes that have happened. First of all, is in kind of like the, 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 the mid uh, 20th century, so like 19, late 1950s, going into the 60s, you have something that developed in American society that was called the culture wars. 
And a lot of people are still using that phrase today. Actually, I just saw like a CNN article that used the phrase culture, war, culture wars this week at some point. But in the mid-20th century, you have a, what's called the culture wars that develop, which is where you have Christianity was kind of like the mediating uh, moral and cultural force in a lot of America for most of history. Right? And then you have this uh, uh, kind of secular boom, you have the sexual revolution, you have a whole bunch of stuff that happens within culture and society and media and music, and, 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 uh, and it's not necessarily reflecting the Christian values that had been manifest in America for a long time. And so what ended up happening was a lot of Christians had a choice. Do I continue to engage in the culture of the world? which is maybe antithetical to what some of our own beliefs might be, or this is the conversation that people were having at that time. So I can either engage in culture that's antithetical to who I am, or I can remove myself from culture and then kind of like bar myself up in my room and, you know, watch Christian movies all day. That's a bad plight to be left with. And, uh, sorry, if you like Christian movies. Um, and so you're kind of left with like this little world where you're leaving society, you're barring yourself up in your own private life, in your Christian world. And so there was this separation where there was an emphasis of the with him part of the relationship with Jesus. Do you get that? But not being sent out into culture because there was maybe a more of a fear of culture. Okay? Does that make sense? If I'm not giving random historical, you know, stories, then what am I doing on stage? Um, Okay, a second thing happens that's a little bit different and has kind of the opposite effect. In the uh, kind of late 19th century, early 20th century, so like the early 1900s area, you have something that develops that is called the social gospel in theology and in churches. And the social gospel essentially taught that the goal of human life and the goal of churches was to be good people, to do the good works, uh, kind of like the the moral teachings of Scripture. Um, And the goal was actually to kind of manifest a perfect society apart necessarily from the teachings of uh, and, and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the entire goal of the church kind of, it, it separated itself from the actual teachings of the, of the reality of who Jesus was, and it mythicized Jesus into this kind of nice, uh, you know, teacher who used to walk around, and he had good teachings that would help us to live nice lives and teach us how to love our neighbors. But the, best, the b- biggest part of Jesus was not that he was Lord, it got rid of that part, that he was a savior, that he was God himself. It just said, hey, the love your neighbor as yourself is a great teaching, and now let's manifest this in our lives. And that actually came from a theology that said the world had to be a perfect place before Jesus came back. So they had a reading of scripture, and they said, we have to make the world perfect without the help of God. And so we're going to set out on this project. And so in our world today, we see a lot of manifestations of people who are living out the, maybe the, the, the teachings of Jesus to go and maybe love your neighbor, but without the relationship with Jesus. So two different things happen here. That represents, I think, a lot of what's happened today and kind of two different cultural groups in this weird milieu of, of, of separation of the be with Jesus and be sent by Jesus. Some of us can move away from the world and cloister ourselves, and then others of us maybe want to go out and do things in the world, but we've moved away from Jesus. See, we've divorced the private life of faith from our public life of faith. But in reality, each and every one of us are called 
and prepared to actually be sent into the world to make like significant change in this world by bringing the kingdom of God here, by understanding the teachings of Jesus, what he's called us to do. And because we are close to him, then we are prepared to go, to go and be sent out and to live out the teachings and the call of scripture in our lives. Now, I think that sometimes when we think about what it like, like each of you, each of us are meant to be sent to, to live out the call and the will of God in our lives, is we think that like that calling or having like a big calling in your life is limited to kind of certain people, maybe. Or it's like there are certain people that you look at and it's like, well, that person's like living, that person's sent out, that person's sent out. But you're, you know, doing a nine to five job, maybe, or I'm doing a nine to five job and you're, you know, going through kind of like the, the natural like sways of life, and it feels like maybe there's not a specific calling of being sent on each of us, which makes me think of a, uh, a story. There was a, a pastor talking to um, someone around the recent elections, and, and this person was saying, um, they were saying, you know, I don't think that, you know, I can love people who voted for this person. And a lot of us may have experience that maybe at some point, or maybe are still living through that. And this pastor said to this person who was a part of his church, he said, hey, like, haven't you read scripture? Like, you're called to love your neighbor. You're called to love your enemies. And he goes, well, that's your job. You're a pastor. <laughs> and I think, the, you know, kind of funny and, and uh, obviously false in some sense. I think that uh, when we think about what it means to be called, to be sent and like to be challenged to sacrifice your life for something. To, in the same way that if we're close to Jesus, we understand he sacrificed his entire life. He gave up everything. He bore like a serious cross. And so are we to bear something for him. That we have a calling on our lives that is not limited to like clergy, right? Or it's not limited to someone who's an evangelist who's going out and doing something. That each and every one of us have a special place in our lives that God is saying, you are to be sent there. And it is, you are uniquely positioned as who you are to go and serve that thing. Now, be with me, but if you're going to be with me, then guess what? You also have to be sent by me somewhere out into the world. Every single one of us are both called and equipped to be sent into the world. Now, this is a theme throughout all of Scripture. Kelly, or Amanda? Hi, Amanda. It's my beautiful wife, Amanda, if you guys don't know Amanda. Could you throw me that bottle of water, please? Thank you. you could, my dad always makes people toss it, so you can toss it. They're pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, so uh, this is a theme all throughout Scripture, this kind of being sent concept. And we go all the way back to Genesis, and you can see this. Uh, so we'll start at Genesis 12. And this is where Adam and Eve have already sinned, and they've already been, uh, they've already kind of like kicked out, kicked God out of kind of the garden, if you will, because they wanted to have their own authority and their own rulership. And God is starting up on this plan to bring redemption back into the world so that he can have his full presence in the world with us as we both lead and rule the world under loving leadership together. And so God's kind of like starting this plan with Abram, who will eventually be, who we know as Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. And you see kind of the, the, the crux of this covenant relationship in Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 4. So the Lord 
has, had said to Abram, go from your country. So they made this covenant. And now he's saying, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, Abram had a specific place of the promised land that he was supposed to lead his family line into. So there was a, kind of a unique geographical part to Abram's calling. But what we see is that he's also supposed to be a blessing to the nations around him as well. So that from the beginning, even though there was this unique component where the people of God was even of a certain, like, uh, like you know, there, there was a, 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 a genetic genealogical component to what they were, which is a whole interesting conversation in and of itself, is that it was supposed to spread. The blessing that was on Israel was supposed to spread to other people. That was a part of the calling and vocation. He would be blessed by God, and his family would be blessed by God by that with him part. And then he was supposed to go and bring that blessing by being sent out into the world out of his place of comfort. Now, this was the calling for the people of Israel through Abraham, and we see this verified in other places through the Old Testament, but the reality is, <coughs> is that the, the Jewish people didn't accomplish this in the exact way that they were supposed to accomplish it. There was failure on, on, in our, our lineage, because we're of a spiritual lineage for those who call themselves followers of Christ, we're of the spiritual lineage of our Jewish brothers and sisters in the Old Testament. And so there was a failure on our part to actually have that sentness to go out into the world. And so that's where Jesus comes and he actually says, hey, I need to like re-up on this plan with all of you guys and to start a new phase, a renewed covenant so that you can accomplish this essential plan to go out into the world and to do something really significant. You see, do you guys remember the, the story where, um, where Jesus... Uh, he goes into the temple and he's flipping tables and stuff, right? Which is the one passage of scripture that we all use to rationalize our great anger when we have moments of anger. Well, Jesus, he goes into the temple and he flips the tables. And so some people are thinking that it's a condemnation of greed and, and of them using the temple improperly. And all that seems likely to be true. But as some scholars have noted, interestingly enough, it might have been in part because uh, there were Jewish people in Rome, and so, and so where, uh, uh, in Jerusalem rather, where, where the temple was, it was controlled by the Roman Empire. That's the government that was over them. And the Jewish people were constantly engaging in militaristic revolts against their governing authorities. And the temple was used as a place to figuratively and literally bar themselves up to plan militaristic revolts. And so the temple, this place that is supposed to be the manifest presence of God and who he is, was being used not to be sent out, but to go and to attack. It was a place to, to, to manifest a culture war, if you will, and in this sense, a real war. And so Jesus' frustration can, be, can be also be known at this deeper layer of here is the temple, here is this place of God and, and, and earth, this spatio-temporal manifestation of God that, that people are using in order to, to keep themselves in rather than to go out into the world. And so Jesus wants to change this narrative of what was happening with the people of God and to do something different in us and the people who were in that time. 
And you see, in part, Jesus doing this throughout Scripture. And here's just a, like, here's a quick scriptural overview of being sent, if you will. And you see in John 15, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now let's stop there. Uh, outside the temple, there was the, it, was, it was adorned, we believe, with uh, gold um, like grapes and, and, a, and, a, and a vine that, that what was created in order to represent Israel. And now Jesus is saying that I am Israel. Israel has failed, but I am the faithful Israelite taking their place. And so now I am the vine. You are just branching off of me. Does that make sense? Okay. So now he's the vine. He's what Israel was supposed to be. He's accomplishing that mission. And then we are all the branches off of him. And he says, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The with me part, the with me part. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Not fun. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think sometimes we can privatize our faith so much, instead of publicize our faith, we privatize our faith so much that it's more like we're like a parasitic insect on the branch. You know what I mean? It's like we're just like taking, taking, taking. Let me go to church, or let me read scripture and see what scripture is giving me today. Right, let me see what God wants to bless me with today. Let me see what the church can do for me today. What is Christian going to say to me today? This is all a message so that you can realize that if I'm not good, it wasn't about that. No. Is that we can be parasitic on the, on the branch, if you will, on, on, on the vine rather, when in reality, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be a branch that sprouts out and that then bears fruit. That we're doing something. That there should be an like an an active conception of growth in our lives where we're representing the, in in other texts, as it it talks about, the fruit of the Spirit, where it's representing goodness and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness, and you can go down the list of the spiritual gifts. So we aren't supposed to be parasitic to the vine, but we're supposed to be outgrowth, branching, fruit developing. And then later we see in John 20, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is later in John, and he's sending the disciples out into the world to do the work that he was doing. And in fact, for us to do greater works than he had even done, which is like shocking, right? You have God walking the earth with a human nature, doing incredible deeds. And he's saying, hey, look, when you connect to me as the vine, the fruit that you're producing, like the flavor, you know, it's like fruit gushers. You know, it's like, boom, major pop that's going to happen. Fruit gushers, wow. I don't know why that just came into my mind, but that sounds really, really good at this point. Um, So we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, to do the works that are greater than even he was doing. And if we have the Spirit within us necessarily, then we have the fruit of the Spirit. You see how this is all connecting and combining and intertwining? Now, in Acts 1.8, so this is after, so this is, this is right before Jesus is ascending. 
Uh, he's already died. He's risen from the dead. He set up this commissioning of the disciples of saying, hey, be connected with me, but you have to, you have, to have the fruit of what it means to be connected to me. And I am going, and I'm sending you out into the world. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then here he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Not to beat a dead horse. He's continuing to say, witness for me. I am sending you out to the ends of the earth. And the church has fully embodied this in such a unique way. I just saw a graphic that I didn't write these numbers down, but just came to mind. This week, talking about um, essentially the presence of different religions on, uh, throughout the world. And so almost all major, all major religions are very ethnocentric, geographically centric. And sometimes when we talk about Christianity, we think of it as like Christianity is this people group's religion, or that's how we, say, we talk about it a lot in America or, America or, or in the West. In reality, uh, Christianity, it is like uh, almost an even split between continents in terms of how, what percentage of people in the continents are actually Christians. Christianity has a unique calling and desire for, um, for, for the word to spread to anyone who is willing to listen. And that's, that's, diff- that's majorly different from a lot of other faith systems not to be uh, you know, negative towards them in this particular way, but, but Christianity has spread all throughout because disciples took the real call of going out and being sent seriously to where immediately they went and scattered to the ends of the earth and spread the good, spread the good news of Jesus because if they were with Jesus and heard the incredible news, then they had to go out and to truly do something about it. Now, I think... It's, you know, a lot of these scriptures are talking about and, and what Acts is even really specifically emphasizing is this uh, concept of witnessing, which then makes us think of evangelism, or, which may make us feel very uncomfortable, which may be the most difficult part of being sent out. Having to like verbally talk about your faith with someone or verbally share the good news of Jesus with someone who maybe doesn't believe it, does that make anyone feel uncomfortable? It does I, and I like have a master's degree in how to talk to people about Christianity, and it still makes me feel uncomfortable sometimes. And we get the sense of it's like proselytizing. You know, you're going out, and you're trying to change people, and and but what are the automatic beliefs that come to our mind is how Christianity has been privatized, right? You believe what you want to believe, and that's good for you, but just don't don't make anyone else feel like they might even need to consider possibly maybe one day at one moment thinking anything that you possibly thought about it. And so that's kind of some of the, the cultural air that exists around it. But the reality is that evangelism is a key part of what it means to be a Christian. Now, some people are, are, are spiritually gifted as evangelists, right? But, um, uh, but all of us still have almost like a little e evangelist gifting that God wants us to employ in my life. I am not a professional dishwasher. However, at home, I have to wash dishes. It's rough. It's a rough life, you know? I just, I'm more uncomfortable about washing dishes than I am about evangelizing, actually. But I have to do it, you know? I'm not working in a kitchen. All of us, it's like we might not be professional evangelizers, but God wants to cultivate a gift in you to be able to, in different ways, to share your faith, because that is literally a part of your calling if you believe in Jesus. We are witnesses of what it means to be with him to other people. 
Interestingly, I was walking down. I love like if I, you know, if I'm not tied up in a certain responsibility on Sunday mornings, I just like walk through Cape Port and say hi to the teachers and like wave to the kids and stuff. They have no idea who I am, but I still wave to the kids. And, uh, and they're all scared of me because of the beard, and it's, it's difficult. My two-year-old niece is deathly afraid of me still, and I think it's because of the beard situation. So if you have any tips, please let me know. Aside from shaving it off, Amanda, it's not happening. And I was walking down there, and I love stopping by the fifth and sixth grade classroom because they, they very energetic, and they have a million questions, and I have no idea how to talk to children, fifth and sixth graders, maybe. So I walk by, and like, I wave at the kids, and they're talking about some like, topic, and uh, they're talking about what pet peeves are. Like, like oh, what, what's a pet peeve? It was part of like, their curriculum in some kind of way. And so I walk in, and, and one of the girls, now, please take this in how I mean it, like all well-intentioned, right? Like we're just, we're expressing ourselves in this kind of environment, and that's positive, but it's good to have conversations about it as I qualify the story a lot. And you know, so I'm walking, and the girl goes, oh, my biggest pet peeve is when people push their beliefs on someone else. And I was like, well, I'm going to take a seat in this classroom and see what's going on. And then inevitably, I become like the answer man, and like literally, uh, and I, probably, I took up the entire class. Very selfish of me. Like 50 questions later from all the kids of like, what about dinosaurs? I'm like, what did, I don't know, what, where did that come from? And uh, so I'm sitting there in class, and, and she's like, well, when people push their beliefs on other people. And so like, I know that's like a trigger concept in my mind to where I know that's meaning something else, which means kind of sharing your faith with people, right? And so this girl had actually bad experiences of what it meant when people did that. And so it was fair, like she had bad experiences. And so that was something that, that kind of hurt her. And then I said to her, maybe this sounds mean. I don't know. I like doing this kind of stuff. Is I was like, well, are you not pushing your belief on me that I shouldn't put my, push my belief on you? And then her head turned and her eyes went... And then someone asked, well, what about dinosaurs? And, uh, and the whole conversation was kind of lost from there on. But that's part of it is a big cultural value is don't push your beliefs on me. And I'm like, well, don't push your belief on me to not me, let me push my belief on you. Now, we don't want to push our beliefs on someone, right? That's not the point of what I'm talking about. But as I then displayed in this classroom, I was like, imagine that your friend is sitting right here and you know that there's a billion dollars under that couch right there. And your friend knows that there's a billion dollars somewhere, but they think it's under that couch and they only have one couch to look under. What are you going to be doing? You're going to be like screaming at them to go check under that couch. And they, if they say, don't push your thought on me, I'm going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, I literally saw them put it there. Like, I've looked, I've put my hands on it. It's under there, the billion dollars. You can have your entire life changed. Very simple kind of analogy there um, used for a fifth and sixth grade classroom, but I think it works for us, where if we have truly been with Jesus, everyone, everyone's looking for Jesus, whether they know it or not, in my opinion, or meaning and purpose and true love, acceptance, all the things that come along with Jesus, eternal life. And it's like under that couch. And it's like, I just want to scream I get very afraid of doing it sometimes because there are questions and there are... But guess what? If we've been with Jesus, we know where he is. And so, like, how do you just, like, tonally as a person keep back from just saying, well, like, well, my faith is private and I have to. It's like, we have to yell about it from somewhere. Okay, all of us have been called to evangelism. But 
being sent out, evangelism is not the only part of being sent out, okay? That's just, that, 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 that's a fraction of, an important fraction of it that we don't talk about enough, not we here, but just generally speaking in Christianity and in culture. But there are two other ways I want to talk about of what it means to be sent out. And the second one is vocationally. We can be vocationally sent out into the world. I would like to offer that your work plays a key role in the redemptive plan of God. Your work plays a key role in the redemptive plan of God. Now, maybe you are not vocationally exactly where you want to be at this point. Or maybe you're younger. Maybe, maybe you're in here you, you aren't working yet or something, but there is a plan for you. You might not, might, might not be vocationally where you feel like you're supposed to be, but still, where you are right now, you play a key role in the world as God has constructed it. I hear a lot of people say this, like, you know, you introduce yourself to someone, and in America, we often identify ourselves by our work, and so it's like, oh, what do you do is our first question. Whereas, like, in, like, Asia and stuff, side point, doesn't really matter. I might have said this before, but in, in, in like, Asia, it's like, you first asked about family, is what I've heard. But in America, our work is, like, our biggest identity builder, and so if you ask someone, like, oh, what do you do, and they have, like, um, what is socially considered as, like, a lower-level job in terms of social status, they'll say, oh, I'm doing this, but... Go, go, go. And I always want to tell people, like, you don't have to qualify it. Like, what you're doing is important, as it is. It could, like, it could be what, whatever it is. Like, I was, uh, like, in, in college, like, I filmed, I, I used to play football, and I got hurt, and so I worked for the team, and I, filled the, I filmed the games for them. Well, it's like, I'm doing this, but don't worry, I'm getting a degree in this. You know what I mean? It's like, no, like, I'm doing my thing. I'm serving as a part of a bigger whole. I might not always understand fully how it fits in, but vocationally, what you're doing right now, like, be confident in that and know that God has you in a place right now for a reason that doesn't rationalize you always staying in that place, but be confident right now in where you are. That's just an encouragement I would like to offer to everyone. So, now... But there might be something out in the future, right? And we have to find where we fit in to, what, to where God has sent us. Because I think there are certain things, like places that we particularly fit in, that God has for us that we need to go discover and to find. And all of us fit in in a unique way. Now, this cool video that I saw uh, where it's this guy playing a beautiful piece of music on a piano and then playing the same piece of music on a piano that is a little bit different and all of the keys play the same exact note. Watch this. Very cool, really creative, cool concept. But I think for each of us, you get the point, really, which is that we all have to find like our special note, and um, and 
I think we should all be on that journey. Sometimes there are different issues that can evolve. All of us want to be monochromatic. We look at what someone else is doing. We want to do that kind of thing. When in reality, God especially gifted you for something. But I think the, the, the bigger point here is that God wants to, not to continue the metaphor too much, but to tune you a specific way so that when you fit into the symphony that he is playing, that, that he has the right key where it's meant to be so that the, the next part of the symphony develops into the story that he's calling us into, this beautiful piece of art that he's creating of, of the history of the world that may in parts there might be dissonant notes and parts that are messed up or keys that are off, and you, we're all keys that are off at many points in our lives, but we're working and asking him to say, hey, when I'm with you, you be the piano tuner. That's helping me figure out which key I am, where I fit, how to get it all stringed up properly, and to fit in our proper places. Now, again, maybe you not, might not know where you fit into all of that. And um, I think such a great tool that Pastor Terry has developed and has used a lot is the concept of area of destiny. And so in the area of destiny, uh, which is us trying to figure out what that area is that our destinies are leading towards that we're trying to step into, there are three parts. Mission, passion, and gifting. Mission, passion, and gifting. Mission, what is a need that God has in the world? Passion, what are we passionate about as individuals? And third of all, what are we skilled at? What are we proficient at actually accomplishing? And if any one of these three things are off when we're looking at where we fit specifically, as I'm talking about, area of destiny is bigger than vocation, but I'm talking about it with vocation, <clears throat> is that if, if, let's say, I love something and there's a need for it, but I'm bad at it, well, then I'm probably not fit for that, right? And so you have to find the kind of the confluence of these three different components. And so I want to give you guys an example from my life and something that, um, that, that I'm kind of a journey I'm on at this point and how my area of destiny kind of took shape in really clear ways for me. Um, well, so when I was in, when I was in college, uh, like I said, I was playing football and uh, wasn't super passionate about it and ended up being injured and it allowed me to kind of enter into a new phase of, of my life and focus. And I kind of happened into some art classes, I happened into some philosophy classes, happened into some theology classes, and when I was in my art classes, and I had, like, I was just, I was literally, I was just a jock my whole life, basically. I just played football, basketball, baseball, every single day, all the time, like 30, 40 hours a week. And I never really figured out what my full passions were in. And I was, I was I, I stepping into art classes and having incredible joy, experiencing, creating, innovating. And as I began to like, like have all this excitement and joy at the same time, my, my like heart and mind had this like almost, like almost depression, like an intellectual depression almost, because of how little there was of Christianity in the, the contemporary arts how little there was. There was this absolute bifurcation of, specifically in American Christianity, there's like this off world that you have to go to, you almost see as like a subset of the culture wars I was talking about earlier, where it's just like art that's not really engaging culture or the world or creativity. And, and then there was this vibrant, but sometimes misshapen or ugly art world that was seeking some meaning and purpose, but that Christians were staying out of. And I, as I started to study philosophy and theology, realized that, that a big reason I thought for this divide was because Christians did not have proper biblical, theological, and philosophical reasonings for why it was so important to engage in the arts. 
of the role that the arts played in God's bigger plan. And so I started, I was taking philosophy of art classes, theology, music, and film, and, and studying this, this world and seeing like, wow, there was this incredible need that exists here, and I'm developing this extreme passion for it. Well, guess what those two are? Mission, there's a need, right? Passion, um, I, like I, I loved it, like I was so interested in it. Gifting, I was terrible at philosophy and theology at that point. That one was certainly lacking. Um, I just started studying in that kind of a way. Well, I knew this was kind of like a big thing for me. I put it on the back burner. I went and got a master's in Christian apologetics. has nothing to do with philosophy, theology, and art. And at that point, I was really good at philosophy and theology. No, I'm just kidding. There was no laughing, so I'll take that as a joke, please. Um, but I had developed a little bit of like a little bit of skill, like base level proficiency in, in doing philosophy and theology and studying scripture and keep like pulling at me, pulling at me was this, was this desire to meet this mission that my passion matched up with, that now I felt that my gifting was beginning to match of, uh, to where like always on my mind, always on my mind was how am I going to meet this need that I think God has in the world to try and bridge the gap between the incredible role of the arts, but Christianity's near absolute absence and presence in creating and being part of that world. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so then what I tried to do is try to say like, okay, I've identified a general area of destiny thing, right? Address these different conversations in some kind of way. Be a part of this thing. I knew it wasn't in making art, at least not at this point in my life. I knew it was in, in, in being a theoretician of the arts rather than a practitioner of the arts. And so I said, well, if I need to go be a theoretician of the arts, and then I need to go figure out what I need to study to have conversations about this. And so I embarked on a journey, and I asked people, like, where do I need to go? I went and I engaged the community, and I talked to one of my old professors, and he, he understood what I was seeking, and he was a professional in this field, and he said, go to London, that's the place for the arts. And he said, go to the school, King's College London. And he said, go study under this guy named Ben Quash. He's the top guy in the world for this right now. Or at least he will be. I forget exactly how he said it. And so I threw an email his way, and I'm like, area of destiny? Seven months later, I get an email from him in response. Absolute, just like dark silence for seven months. And so I'm like finding other things to do. And it's like everything, nothing seemed right. You know, like they weren't in my area of destiny of what I was trying to go do. And so I'm like, this school in London offers a PhD in this topic, in Christianity and the arts, exactly what I want to study. And everything else is offering di different opportunities, but they don't, match, they don't match my area of destiny. And eventually I get an email back from this guy, and he says, hey, I'm super interested in your project. Let's do all this stuff. Bada boom, bada bing. Ended up in September, I'm moving to London to go and study for my PhD in Christianity and the arts under Ben Quash, which we've talked about here before. So that shouldn't be much of a surprise, and, uh, and Pastor wanted me to talk about that a little bit today as an example of what area of destiny stuff looks like. But each and every one of us have something that might seem like my freshman, sophomore year of college where I'm like, I have no direction right now, and we just start like feeling around. Right? And just start, start searching to see, is there something that's beyond where I am right now that's still meaningful? But that's even more meaningful that I am, like, I, I need to be that key that fits into it. That God wants me to be that special piece. How can you find mission, passion, 
gifting. And I encourage you guys to literally write these things out this week or do a Venn diagram of the three and figure out what that centerpiece might be. Everyone tracking, does this make sense? Makes sense? If you're at home watching online, I hope it makes sense for you too. Okay. Sometimes though, I think when we're thinking about our vocation or where we're trying to go, we, 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 um, we, we get lost in, in, in thinking what a meaningful vocation looks like, which I kind of touched on a little bit earlier. I was having a conversation with someone the other day as I start to close out here, a conversation with someone the other day who had lost their faith in God. And a lot of times these conversations go like, well, they're like the five canned reasons why. And, um, and this, this, uh, he, he, this kind of young adult was saying, I, I'm always told that, that God has a calling for me and I'm really worried that I, I'm not fit for that kind of calling. And he was basically saying, I don't feel like I have a place in the plan of God as it's been told to me. And therefore, I don't think that that God probably exists. That's a really interesting way to talk about God and to understand God. He'd always been told there's a purpose and a plan, and he was doing kind of low-level work and was struggling to figure out what it means to be a Christian called by God to do something really significant. And some of this took place after conversations I was having with him. He was asking me about what I'm going to do. And, and sometimes we think that in order for us to have a place or a purpose in the plan of God, that it has to look like something really big, socially in the world. Like, you have to be able to say it, and it's like, you know, I'm moving here to be a missionary, and I'm going to give up all of my wealth and go into debt, and look how important I am, right? Or I'm going to go start this business or nonprofit, which 100%, like, yeah, that's your area of destiny. That's incredible. But there's no difference between what I'm doing or what you're doing or what you're doing in terms of value if that's what God's called you to do. Like, I'm sure there are certain notes on, on a piano that are used more or less, Right? But that note fits in and is just as important as all the other ones. So all of us have a place. And so, so we, we need to be careful in doing that and to remember that we are not just vocationally called to be sent out, but personally to be sent out. That who we are as persons in every single environment that we enter, that our person is sent into that environment. So your character is sent into, into, into all environments that you enter. One of the biggest things Scripture talks about, it's not just like go and do this or go and do this kind of thing that we often think about that's maybe more Americanized in terms of success metrics, but it's talking about the development of who you are as a person, your character, you developing the fruit of the Spirit, you being a loving person, a kind person. And so my heart was breaking for this, for this guy as I was talking to him, and I just said to him, I was like, hey, like, you don't need to go, like, I don't know, make a million dollars a year and give $999,000 of it a year to other people in order to, like, be a meaningfully part of the purpose and plan that God has for your life. I was like, go work your job at this place that you're at, like, uh, at a grocery store, and, like, love people. Be kind to people. Have gentleness. Have faithfulness to people. Like that, like be sent in your environment, wherever you are. And I think a lot of us, even though we're somewhere in our lives, like we're all in some place, yet we've yet to be sent into that place. It's like we are both there and not there at the same time. It's like I think that sometimes, and I've experienced this as a part of our family life, where it's like I'm sent to my wife. 
every single day, right? To love her, to be who I'm supposed to be. But it's like sometimes I'm not there. Like I am there, but I am not sent there because I have like, I retracted myself. Well, here's the boxes that you have to check to live your life here. And here's the things I have to do for my job. And it's like we are there, but our presence and our character has not been manifest there. So we can, be, we can evangelize. That's huge. Our vocations, we can go seek after our area of destiny there. But also, wherever we are, who you are as a person needs to be present and sit into that space. You just doing jobs and tasks, that's essential as well. But if you do the jobs and the tasks without the heart of being someone who loves God and who is so with him that you represent Jesus to other people, then we're not fully sent. So all of us can be encouraged to say, there are all these different things I'm able to do, but right now, in church, maybe you're not present here in terms of like, God has sent me here. Like maybe you're not present in your family. Maybe you're not present at work. Maybe, maybe there's just more that you can do. Maybe you can just be encouraged, like, wow, I can go fulfill the plan of God for my life today when, I, when I'm out at lunch with my family or friends and just like exhibit love. How cool is that? How easy is that? You're a part of the plan of God right there. All right, so I hope each of us, one, are encouraged to be a part of the vine. We can only be sent out when, it's, when we're coming from the source. So we must be with Jesus, and then to realize that we can bear fruit and do incredible things for the plan of God in this world. God has a place for you if you feel lost right now. And if you feel like you're in that place right now, God has even more for you in that space than you still have ever imagined. Thank you, guys.